From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. To balance it as a marketer or a business professional, I love what I do with my different clients because I can challenge them. I can say, I don't buy it, prove it to me, right? Or someone else already said that, I, what makes you different? And, and there's some freedom in that for me that like at the end of six months of my contract, like they're probably gonna be like, this guy's a jerk, we don't want him anymore. Or you know what, he did ask good questions and, and it got us to a place where we were honest with ourselves. That's Ryan Hayford. Ryan is a marketing and business development expert in the additive manufacturing industry. With over a decade of experience working with major hardware, software, materials, and service organizations. Ryan is constantly involved in a wide variety of projects and currently offers contract marketing and consulting services through his business, Hayford Consulting. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast, where you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Also, if you or your team are looking for materials, qualification, or general AM support, reach out to our team through our website or via email at info at 3degreescompany.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining the show today, Ryan. I'm excited for the conversation today. Um, I like to start all these episodes kind of right at the beginning. So uh, where were you born? Um, what were some of your early days like? Uh, kind of getting me on the path towards where you are today. Yeah, no doubt, Mike. I appreciate you having me on the, on the podcast. I, um, I'm originally from uh, New Hampshire, a little town called Nashua, which is right on the border with Massachusetts. Man, grew up in kind of, a, I thought it was a small town. It was a lot bigger than what I thought it was after I got out into the real world. But um, but for the most part, my career, my life all started in that area. I was uh, always an athlete, right? That was like a big part of my life growing up as a kid and, and uh, played sports in college and everything like that. And then really uh, never thought that I would be in such a technical field like 3D printing. But, you know, that's kind of uh, by happenstance just ended up getting into something like this, which is honestly been been a, a wonderful career you know what started as a i need a job because i just got grad just graduated turned into you know a, a true a truly passionate career what uh what sports did you play so i played football basketball baseball went to college played football um i still play basketball to this day i'm, I'm not there yet but i said when i get to 40 i'll see if i'll continue playing basketball after that there you go keep it going yeah i remember one of my <clears throat> i didn't a lot of running like i played baseball in college and then i did a lot of running after college and marathons and things like that and one of my worst experiences i'm pretty sure i got frostbite as a as a runner was at the dairy 17 mile like tune up for boston marathon race in the middle of winter it was like january or something like that so my my rem- <laughs> my opinions of new hampshire are limited to that race it was 17 miles i was I, yeah i was yeah. i was bringing my uh my Gatorade with me kind of going out for the run and by mile 11 it was completely frozen I think that the temperature of the race was like 10 degrees to start so it wasn't being from Minnesota you're not that it's not that uh, uncommon but uh, that was a cold one and my yeah, my fingers like, felt that <laughs> you start in the beginning of the race with gloves on right and then they're sweating and then they get cold again because yeah. it's so dang cold uh so did you run the Boston Marathon I never got to I I uh I've done I can't remember like seven or eight different marathons, but uh, run the Chicago a bunch of times and Twin Cities, Paris, and uh, a bunch of other ones. But 
not Boston. I'm not fast enough to, to qualify. <laughs> I, I ran a, my one and probably only marathon in, uh, in Richmond, Virginia. And, uh, I was certainly in pain by like mile 20. Right. And it was just like, get to mile 21 and then walk, get to mile 22 and yep. walk. So I, I, uh, I will hopefully run maybe another half, but I don't think I'm doing any more full marathons. Yeah. And so kind of going back to the 3d printing or thread, or I mean, even early career, kind of what, what did you study in, in college and what, and what were you kind of thinking about in terms of your career then? Great question, right? It was business. And at that point in time, I was like every other person my age where I was like, you go to college, right? And you just, you go to business and you just figure it out from there. And and I, I look back on my experience now for education and I have a different perspective on education now. And I think that uh, I've learned a lot since being in an engineering field, uh, how much education really matters for, for certain fields and how much it matters less for certain other fields, but really it was business. Um, and when I came out, I was, you know, like I said, I was kind of looking for a job. I had applied to a handful of different places. Um, and actually I got connected with, which is strange, uh, but it makes sense in my, my life was my old offensive coordinator for football. Um, Bruce Bradshaw, he loves this story and he's going to love that I'm telling this story. I didn't, I don't, I don't like telling this story, but, but I called him, I said, Bruce, I'm looking for a job. And he was working at a company called Object Geometries in Billerica, Massachusetts. So, um, they didn't really have a position. I went in and, and he was, you know, he was pushing me up to try to get hired in the organization. And there was definitely people who were more qualified than me, but he, he believed in me and I ended up, you know, making the cut, which I was really thankful for, but worked for 3D printing. I mean, man, I didn't know anything about 3D printing and object geometries, uh, you know, no longer around its, its stratasis because of the merger. But what a cool technology, uh, Israeli based company. So I got introduced into international business right off the bat. I mean, I, I was, you know, at the age of 21, 22, was so thankful. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I'm so thankful that I, I got into this. And what what was your your first role, what were you kind of doing when you, when you first started? Great question. It was all, it was a marketing specialist role. So essentially we had a distribution channel that I was responsible for, from all marketing stuff, um, responsible for, I think I had about eight or 10 trade shows throughout the year. So I was traveling a lot, which again was great to start seeing the country. And I always kind of felt like James Bond that I was like using the company's dollars to go travel and do cool things. And then the final piece of my responsibility was working with the media outlets. So I was doing advertising spend, helping, you know, with content and stuff like that. And that was really a wonderful introduction. You know, what I learned the first three months of that job superseded anything I could have learned at college for the four years prior. And what was, what were those early days like when you talk about kind of media for 3d printing? I mean, it's still in the grand scheme of things, it's a small industry. Um, what were you what 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 did media look like in that context because a lot of the people that you sell object to or any other 3d printing i mean it's it's that million dollar question like how do you reach them right like what how do you they're like five to 50 person companies in the middle of nowhere all over the place right and yeah, some of them are linked on and some of them aren't aren't and like you never have no idea what they're doing and I mean, there were no 3D printing, no 3D print.com, 3D printing industry. And maybe at the time, but it was like engineering.com and it was mold making and Gardner and some of those machine tool like publications that we were working with. Right. So that was kind of the early stages of the advertising with them that they had like 3D printing was like a subcategory. It was like subtractive or CNC. It was just a subcategory and there were no, you know, niche or specialized publications at the time. I mean, but at the time that was different, like. I remember we were getting 100, 150 people on webinars, right? So we had some like real traction, which is so different nowadays because you feel like people are a little if webinar. If you get 20, out. yeah, if you get 20 on a webinar today. And even then, are those even real people, you know? Yeah. So I, I struggle with some of today's media. I think some of the media outlets do a great job with content. They have excellent writers and some really good pieces. 
but when you're trying to reach engineers, I mean, engineers aren't going to, you know, websites every day to go find things. They're going on Google like everybody else. And they're searching for how do I solve my problem, whether it's through YouTube or it's through Google. Um, and if those publications come up because they have great content and they have the stickiness and the SEO within the industry, then, yeah, that stuff will come that will you know rise to the top. Um, but back in the day, man, it was it was it was great because it was so new. People were interested in it. I remember going on planes and speaking to people next to me about 3D printing and they'd be like, what, what is 3D printing, you know, um, and, and how much it's transitioned in the last 15 years. And what, what years or like what time frame are we talking about for, for this first job? Yeah. 2010, 2009, 2010 was when I started. Yeah. Um, nice. yeah. And, and, st- and, uh, stuck with it, went through the merger with Stratasys. Like that was a, fascinating time for a marketing person it really was for me it was like this is it right because i got to learn stratasys went public at the same time as the merger and that was so cool because we were creating a whole new logo new brand combining two different marketing groups combining two different companies two different distribution channels uh, big budgets you know big conversations with the higher upper management about you know what color scheme do we want to use for a logo i was like 25 so i'm like yeah i cool colors man you know what i mean like i didn't know how great it could be uh, working in business in general, but watching that all transition and realizing how fortunate I was to be part of such a what a, a massive organization and a good organization. I, I still think Stratasys is is one of the best out there when it comes to uh, to building a product and presenting a product to the industry for sure. I wonder if we ever cross paths because I was doing some work through my PhD up at uh, Burton Snowboards and we had one of the we had a, a Connex Con. right. So maybe you Con, sold it and, and Larson right, Ryan Larson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was up in the lab there. We were doing a lot of rings and all sorts of stuff with the object back in the day. Yeah, I think that's when we rolled out. Um, it was like a digital ABS, but really it was uh, yeah. uh, this green material, if you're familiar with it, to, to do for injection molding. But it was a high strength, high temperature material um, that, that Burton was using for sure, for sure. Yeah. And so along that time, I mean, you're, you're young in your career, um, kind of new industry, also an emerging industry. Um, what did you learn about like how people buy this sort of equipment? Like as you were kind of learning, like getting kind of your head around your career, like how did that kind of, uh, what were some of those early impressions of, uh, of your kind of key takeaways? Really good question, Mike. Um, you know, I think as a, when you're young, you think about marketing and you think about the Coca-Cola's and the B2C products, right? You know, how do you reach people and all that stuff, but B2B marketing and B2B go to market is so much more complicated than that, right? Long sales cycles. I mean, we were selling products. That was another fun thing was product differentiation, right? That we had a $50,000 product and we had a 300,000 or $500,000 product. Now, you could have sold each one of those products at maybe $100,000 a piece, right? Depending on your cost of goods, but you were able to position those products on your marketing to upsell them as much as you really want. This is a materials business too, right? We all know that now that really it's, uh, we'll call it the razor blade kind of setup that essentially whenever you sell a product that, you know, you're just gonna keep getting consumable sales. But really at that point in time, like learning how to market and, and what made the most sense and being able to speak that language. I still think that at the beginning, like we weren't really sure how to speak the language correctly to engineers. We were all kind of figuring it out on the fly about, you know, it wasn't just about like, speeds and feeds it was more along the lines of of my output and what kind of level of creativity it was a rapid prototyping machine so roi was difficult to measure right it was like okay well i can get this part 3d printed overnight but what does that actually equate to for for return dollars and that was that was for polyjet and object that was like a unique challenge that we loved and we sold on the creativity that it could enhance within your department now 3d printing has definitely become 
uh, an ROI production tool, a money-making tool, similar to you know a lot of other manufacturing tools in the market. So there was this combination of both creativity sales for rapid prototyping versus what would be construed as a production sale, which means am I going to get my return investment within 18 months or, or even quicker than that? And how did you deal with the, I mean, the customer who's writing the check and the user's always, not always the same person, right? And so you have, like, who do you sell first usually? Like, I mean, that pro- that may have changed, right, as, as time sure. goes on, but you, you keep mentioning the engineers, right? But engineers may have a $5,000 spend budget on their credit card and they need to go buy a million dollar or half a million dollar machine, $300,000 machine from, from you. So how, how did that, like, have you figured that out? Like, what, what does that look like for, for 3D printing? I guess it depends on which technology you're talking about, right? And which, which offering and solution it is. But there is a, certainly a top-down, bottom-up approach. There's obviously a price uh, differentiation as well, right? Sub $30,000 versus whatever. Like you're saying, I can, I can buy a $5,000 Creality you know, or whatever it is to put on my desktop um, that's not going to break the budget or break the credit card number, right? But, you know, it's, it is an interesting challenge that I think everyone is still dealing with right now in 3D printing. I, I work with a handful of different clients and how do we speak to the VP of supply chain, right? And where do they get their information and what's going to matter to them? And is it dollars or is it uh, lead time? Is it uh, for someone else, it's time to market, right? So when you talk to these different C-suite people, it's obviously a different conversation and reaching them to me is you got to be in the Forbes magazine, the Time magazine, you got to be at these upper echelon activities activities in order to get in front of them. Well, on an engineering level, it's way different where these are the users that do care about the speeds and the feeds and the output. And ultimately, the conversation is a little different that, in my experience, when you're speaking with a user and an engineer, they you, you need to make sure that you're solving their problems truly and honestly, right? That you're not just selling them a, 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 you know, a product because you're trying to hit your quota or something like that. Y- you need to make sure that um, the product is going to do what it's going to do you can stand behind it 100% and that they're going to be uh, a champion within their organization because if that product fails, their job is on the line, right? So you really need to make sure that, and that, that's just customer loyalty and, and everything like that, right? But I think there is that fine line that we're messing with right now between talking to the C-level conversations and, well, we can change the world for you and blah, 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 versus the engineers who are much more realistic and the day-to-day people who would say, hey, man, this machine isn't operating or the material you told me you had you were going to have in three months is, isn't going to be here for another year and a half. Um, so there's like this visionary conversation with the C-level and then there's this honest day-to-day tactical conversation um, with the users and the, and the engineers that you got to have a little bit of a combination of both. And it really is product or, or pricing um, and pro- more product def- um, dependent than pricing. Awesome. And so what was the next step after after Stratus or after Object slash Stratasys? What was yeah, the, so- the transition like? Went to uh, to a big rep, a German company. I thought that would be an interesting opportunity. Um, from there, I was I was working in sales, and uh, it was business development. So we were building a channel for in North America for the German big rep company, and I was at a point where I was like, I need more in my life. Um, so I actually I quit. I quit really good job, and I went back to school and got my master's degree. I was just it was a weird gamble in my life, but I figured if I hadn't done it now, then I'll never do it. So I went to the University of Chapel Hill. Um, they hooked me up with a, a fellowship. They gave me a, a chance to, to teach. So I got my school paid for. I had, you know, some money in my pocket and I got a chance to teach, which is something I really wanted to try. And that's what got me to kind of where I am now. So that was an interesting progression in my career as well, too, because it was like, uh, you know, 
I've always had money in my pocket and now I, I don't. Right. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a student and yeah. I, I don't Bank really love going the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't love school. I'll be completely honest. Right. So, uh, the change was, was, was definitely different for me, but if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be where I am now. I, I firmly believe that. And what did you study or what was the program that you, you were doing? Yes, yeah, so it, was, it was strategic communication. So it was part of the media and journalism. Um, I've always had this healthy skepticism of media. I'll just say that. And uh, <laughs> so because of that, I wanted to understand it more. Fake right? news. Want- you were you were you were before the curve. <laughs> you know what it was, Mike? It was uh, every time they would quote somebody and they still do it now. An, an anonymous source said and I was like, I can't stand that. Right. So <laughs> I wanted to understand it better. And, and I think I have. I do understand it a lot more. And honestly, what it came out for me was was the value of authenticity, right? And uh, and I try to, in everything, and I talk to my clients and everybody is to be to be honest, you know, let make a claim, but substantiate that claim, right? Because in, especially in our world where everyone's gonna fact check you anyways, so you might as well be honest from the get-go, otherwise you're gonna, you're gonna put yourself in a hole that you'll never be able to get out of. Awesome. And so what was the hope after, like after you finished this program, you'd done some teaching, were you thinking that you would go back into 3D printing or were you looking at other industries or other other kind of job opportunities? Great question, Mike. I was I was working with a satellite company doing some contracting while I was at school. Um, so that was an interesting opportunity. I didn't know anything about satellites. So that was that was really interesting. Um, they were a satellite production purse company with also they, they sold some devices as well. But what I realized was that I, I missed 3D printing. I, I really did. I um, I had great connections. I had a good network within there. I had worked with some great companies. So for me, and it was also kind of almost like an easy one. Like I would have loved getting into medical or doing something something different like that. But I went back into three D printing because I knew I knew I could make a difference, and I knew, and I was good at what I had done before, and I knew that it, there was a lot more that I could do within this industry. Uh, at least that was from my perspective. And oddly enough, when this all happened. Um, I was coming out and it was March, 2020 when I was basically finishing my degree. And so the world got upended and that's the, and that was another fun, you know, a little challenge that, that made me stronger, better than I've, I've ever been. So that was, I'm thankful for overcoming odd barriers like that. And what, what was that next step? So March, 2020, kind of where, where you are, where are we in the timeline? Yeah, Mike. So my wife's pregnant. I'm like, all right, you know, and I got a job offer from a company in 3D. And then the next thing I know, they're like hiring is frozen. And I was like, oh no, like talk about bank account going down. Right. I was like, yeah. well, we're, I'm in trouble. So I have one, I have one day of a pity party where I was, you know, angry and the world's out to get me, you know, whatever. I threw, threw myself that crap for a little bit. And then I got into it. And what I did was I started writing and I'm a, I'm a, I consider myself a good writer. I'm a writer by trade. I write a lot now within the industry. And I threw my articles out to a bunch of different people within the industry, a bunch of different companies. I said, listen, I can do this for you full time. Um, and a few people came back, said, yes, we'd love you to write. So I started writing content, doing contracting. Um, and I was never going to build my own business. This just came opportunistically. And I and I was I needed money, right? I needed to to feed my family, so really started writing. And what it turned into was going back to my marketing roots and and really becoming a, a marketing person. And we have so many different startups in three D printing that uh, everyone doesn't really have a marketing person. And a contract marketing person is great, right? Because you can satisfy a lot of the problems that you have without a full time salaried position. Uh, and that's really how this ball started rolling, um, starting to build my business and whatnot. So that was. That was um, not by plan, but really thankful that it happened because it's put me in a better position. So was that so that was the start? So you kind of just like kind of built the business organically kind of from from out of necessity, essentially, right? 
Yeah, people ask me, like, how do you find leads? How do you find people? And I'm like, well, listen, my my whole goal, and this sounds maybe sounds corny, I don't know what, but is is to get a reference at the end of my contract, right? At the end of my contract, I want a reference. You understand how this works, right? That somebody's willing to say, that person did a really good job for me. And what it turned into is a lot of people extending my contracts. Not a bad thing, right? I loved it. Um, and that just proved to me that I was doing a good job and, and I'm very deliverable based, right? So I had to produce, otherwise I wasn't going to get a new contract. And that, and that works for me, um, me personally, because I know who I know who I am. I need, I need to achieve, uh, I need to finish, I need to complete things. I'm not a typical marketer. That's a, a, a super creative. I kind of lean on other people's creativity. And I, I ask engineers and researchers and scientists a lot of questions to help me mold what I think is good messaging and whatnot. Right. And I test it out and everything like that. But, but ultimately, um, you know, I, I, getting a contract, getting a reference or extending that contract was always my goal, uh, from, from the get go. And honestly, I'm, I'm probably shooting a pretty good percentage. I'd say 90%, maybe a hundred percent if I talk to everybody, but not everyone to finish their reference on LinkedIn. So <laughs> awesome. And so what, what were some of those, those projects that you were doing? I mean, you were writing, but like what, what sorts of like as a startup in the additive manufacturing industry or kind of some of the companies you were working with, like what, what were their pain points that, that they, they were having as, as they were on their kind of marketing and sales journey? Yeah, it was different for a couple of companies, right? So for a contract manufacturer, they wanted to improve their SEO. So it was a lot of website content, a lot of article, blog content, stuff like that, which was, was naturally just easy to, not easy to do. You got to research it and put some stuff, put some love into it. Um, and then there was other stuff where it was like press releases and I was working for an international company. So I was doing some editing for them and whatnot as well. So I was helping them basically, you know, uh, Americanize some of their content. Right. So that wasn't, that was a natural thing for me as well. So a lot of it started like that and then it kind of transgressed or, or trans transformed into some white papers. Right. And a white paper is a tough thing to write because it's so, it has to be dripping in benefit. Right. And it's gotta be informative. So those ones I really love because I got to learn a lot about, someone's particular technology uh, i got to learn about the engineering team from inside and out and, and it challenged me uh, on a different level to to write um writing writing for engineers i don't think i'm perfect at it but i'm, I'm certainly getting better and as as you're finding new clients you're kind of running this business um how was the 3d printing industry changing over that time right i mean you had kind of I guess it's like 2020, a lot of new venture money in the space, a lot of hype, um, distributed manufacturing is going to solve everything, blah, blah, blah. Um, like, And having the context of being in the industry, I mean, for a, almost a decade at that point, um, you had seen a lot of technologies come and go. You had kind of been uh, like some of the messaging has has been kind of said repeatedly over and over again transform and, the world man yeah and so it's time has changed like it's 10 years on and like it's still changing the world but like how how do you balance the cynicism right that like a lot of people have had over like hey you've been telling me this for 10 years now about 3d printing and this is the best material this is the fastest process the cheapest process things like that and and so what what's your kind of pulse on on the industry where where is it at um in terms of receiving some of those messages 
I'm curious about your opinion on this too, because it has changed a lot in a few years and there's so many new competitors. There's a lot of mergers happening. There's, there's new material organizations. I always wonder, I always, I always ask this to myself and other people, you know, does, is it applications drive materials or does materials drive applications? One thing I noticed with a lot of different technologies is that it was, it was opportunistic in the sense that we built this technology. Now let's go solve a problem. And I don't, I don't think that's a great way to go about it. That's a great research project, no doubt about it. But business is, we just go find a problem. Let's go solve it with the technology. So I think there's a combination of that happening in the industry right now where there's these new technologies popping up, but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Um, and then there's obviously these inflated expectations, right? Like we are going to change the world. So you go to an investor and you say, we're going to, we're going to do this. And, and this is our addressable market and we can do X, Y, and Z. And by the end of four years, we will not only be profitable, we will be the number one company in the world. And for those outside the industry, they may think like, wow, what an opportunity. We don't want to miss this. But for those inside the industry, that cynicism is real, Mike, right? You even said that yourself. So to balance it as a marketer or a business professional, I love what I do with my different clients because I can challenge them. I can say, I don't buy it. Prove it to me, right? Or someone else already said that. I, what makes you different? And, and there's some freedom in that for me that like at the end of six months of my contract, like they probably gonna be like, this guy's a jerk. We don't want him anymore. Or you know what? He did ask good questions and, and it got us to a place where we were honest with ourselves. And, and I think that's a healthy thing for companies, OEMs, hardware, material, services, whatever, software, um, to be really honest with themselves. And that's a fun challenge for me personally. But the industry itself, you know, there is, there's that. Do you, do you feel as if there's cynicism? There should be if there isn't. <laughs> but uh, I think certainly among manufacturers, not within added manufacturing, there's a, a healthy cynicism. I think the industry has gone in in some different directions in the sense that like for a long time and in some of those middle years that we're talking about 2015 to 2020 or so every rapid or form next like the big excitement would be about what's the new launch what's the new machine what's the new technology whereas even the the last rapid last a mug you don't see new technology launched as much it's how do you optimize it so that it can actually make money or it can actually solve a challenge and so it's more drilling down specifically on how can we optimize this cost effectively versus okay this is a the next iteration of some sort of technology and, and so i think as the technology has evolved i mean a lot of people have gotten burned right in on the manufacturing side um and so you have your that job is it makes it harder and harder to to sell it and and i think it's not so much that the technology or technologists or people developing the technology are wrong it's just everyone's not realistic about the time it takes like it's long it's hard it's arduous you need to like quarterly improvements that nasdaq requires or um that your boss requires for your next personal evaluation oftentimes don't line up to the realities of this this technology and so i think that frustrates people on a personal level and at the business level you know i think it was, i think it was greg morris I, I watched the podcast with him at one time um and he had said something along the lines of a commitment to 3d printing is a three to five year investment right for any manufacturer or company to really you know how are we going to use it let's learn how we're going to use it and really take our have our patience and go from there mm -hmm. and i thought that was i thought that was spot on 
right? You really have to be patient and uh, for manufacturers. And, and I don't, you know, I've seen a few of them get burned and be disappointed in it. And I wonder, will they come back, Mike, or will they just kind of write it off until it's and, and become, you know, a late adopter, right? Like what, what is, for those that have been burned, are they ever going to, when are they going to come back and what does that path look like? Yeah. I mean, I, I think once it's clear for the, like, and I'm talking outside of prototyping, I think prototyping is established, right? Like you can, like, it's pretty clear the benefits of prototyping using the technology. I think if you can show, demonstrate people consistency, quality, that's not a $5 million <laughs> investment. I think that's when people start to see the realization of, of what it can be. But again, like you said, I think that two to three year time frame is, is fair. Um, I mean, we always say for materials qualification, especially on metal, it's a million and a half dollars and 18 months minimum. That's a chunk. And, and I was, and I'm curious in your perspective, I mean, you do this every day, you know, where is the opportunity? Is it metals or is it polymers? And I've heard many different perspectives on this. What do you think? I'm a materials engineer, so I don't care about the, <laughs> the, the type of materials. I think, again, it's um, each has their applications, each has their warts, each has their challenges. And, and so I think it's um, it ebbs and flows for me. I mean, when we started three degrees 10 years ago, it was mostly polymers that we were working on. Then it shifted to metals. Then it kind of rebalanced out to kind of 50-50, add in some cop composites in there. And like, so it's kind of a mix um, in terms of just what types of projects we work on. And we're a little bit forward looking in terms of like the types of technologies we look at. But I think it's, yeah, it's just really more about like, how do you articulate a business case that people don't care? Like no one cares that things are 3D printed at the end of the day, right? Like... I don't care how my monitor or how this microphone or these headphones were made, like, do they function and are they cheap? Can I get them like yeah. next day or whatever it is? Like it's, it's different value that people put on it. I, uh, you made me think about something. I, I was doing a project with refractory metals and I don't mm -hmm. know anything about refractory metals, right? But it was, uh, it was tungsten and rhenium and, and some of these materials that stand up to like 3,500 C. And I was just like, wow, those ex I didn't even know those existed, Mike. You know what I mean? That was just, that's one of those things that keeps driving me in this industry is I'm learning something new all the time. Like I, I love writing case studies um, because I'm always learning from the users and that. And that's why I love the, the AMOG group. I've been involved with that for years now, over a decade. And uh, I love it because I love hearing from the customers because that's that really is the fun part. I should say users, not customers, the users, because that's where like it, it's um, they're always pushing the limits right? More than anybody else. And they're the ones on the forefront um, sometimes. And I, I really appreciate how they kind of take a leap of faith and, and really get some things done like that. But I got to tell you, I don't know if you work with any of those materials right now, like the tungstens and whatnot. I was just blown away by what they're trying to do with them, mainly for rocket propulsion stuff. Um, really, really impressive stuff for sure. And so take, kind of taking a step back, um, you work with a lot of kind of emerging, like small companies, emerging technology companies, companies that are trying to bring their business to different countries or different continents. Um, from kind of your your marketing sales business perspective, um, what's your best piece of advice in terms of like, what are they missing in terms of, of like even thinking about how they're structuring the company? Like when should they start thinking about their marketing message and their technology, like uh, that storytelling aspect, like how, 
what are or like having done this with lots of companies, done it yourself with object stratasys, like what what's kind of the piece of advice you give to to those organizations? Really great question. Uh, there is no easy answer to this, but a lot of it is is validation of, of the applications that you're you're solving or you're participating in, right? What is my what problem is my technology solving? And that takes time to find out, right? You, and once you've been able to identify a couple of different applications, you're like, yeah, we are great at this. We are we are different than anybody else. We have certain values that no one else can even touch us on, whatever it is. Um, and then really find out a little bit deeper into your audience, right? I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, we can solve this problem for manufacturing and this and that. It's like, hold on a second, be more specific. And once you learn about your audience, then you can message towards them what's, what's effective, right? And I think, I'm not saying everyone misses this. There's some people that are, some companies that are great at it. Some people, some companies that are not as great at it. Everyone's trying. But if you, if you being a marketing person, my job is, is to really step back, look at the audience and, and think about what's going to matter to them as long as there's a, a true solution and then be able to articulate the, the solution to them, right? And that's where I think that, I don't think that there's some misses in the industry. Some people are evolving. You know, I talked to a friend of mine in a pretty big 3D printing company today, and he's saying, well, we want to we want to target their messaging, our competitor, and how to, you know, go about them. And really, to me, it's just asking a few questions, right? Let's just investigate a little bit further, a little bit further, and then ultimately, what's your win? What's your goal? What are you trying to get out of this, right? Um, but I think, really, you identify your audience really understand your audience. I, I can't stress that enough for every single company. I don't care if your hardware, your services, your software, like really understand your audience. And that takes, that takes interviews, you know, that takes surveys, that takes, you know, really intimate touching. You can't just look at a data sheet or read an article and know something. You have to talk to your users and your, your, your champions of the technology and then, and then craft your messaging from it and then test your messaging too, right? Go to them again and say, listen, does this, does this make sense? Like, are we doing what, what we think we're doing? A lot of times you'll go to a website and they'll be you know, the same things over and over again. And you're just like, no, you're not changing the world of manufacturing. And that means nothing to me, right? I have a client right now where you look at the website and you're like, that's not speaking to anybody. That, that, that's a very empty platitude. And that's not going to get you business. People want their solutions and their answers up front, depending on what your tr problem you're trying to solve. And I think that for me, from a marketing perspective, particularly in this industry, you know, we should begin to look outside of this industry and look at what other uh, B2B companies are doing and try to emulate those, right? You think about the Haas's and CNC companies that they've been around for decades and years and why did they have good marketing? Well, a lot of it had to do with a good product that they were solving a problem for. We find that out first, what problem we're solving, learn about our audience and then message appropriately. And with that, I mean, we're, we're probably uh, three degrees. I mean, is is probably a typical small company industry. We have to be, we have, five, six people on the team, we have to be smart about what conferences we go to, where do we exhibit and things like that. What, what are your kind of perspectives with you know, the changing landscape of, of, of conferences and, and trade shows? It's almost like you could go to, to one every week if you wanted to. And uh, I've heard some people have the perspective like, well, if we don't show up, then people um, don't think we're legitimate. And, uh, but like on the same side, like I think in, not this year, but I think next year, in two years, something like that. Within five weeks in Chicago, there'll be AMUG and Form Next US and Rapid, right? And so, like, it's it's a bit of an interesting landscape from a conference perspective and trade shows where a lot of, I would say, certainly early on in those, the first year I went to AMUG, there were 250 people. Like, those have kind of ballooned out and um, and it's just kind of changed um, certainly through through your career. So, like, what what are your thoughts on on that evolving landscape? 
on events specifically yeah 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 you know and and uh, again i I was talking to my friend that today from a big company and, and you know they went to rapid and they have to it's a branding exercise more than anything but like the leads that were returned didn't match the investment you know you're looking at 150 200 dollars a lead right can you live with that if you are an equipment provider for a million dollar piece of machinery that takes 18 months to sell maybe uh, if you're a new entrant and you haven't met these people before, maybe, but a lot of companies in our space, you know, it's a little bit more of a saturated market where they've kind of met everybody, right? Th- those things are happening over and over again. For you guys, for 3D Degrees, what I would do for you guys, and you already do it, Mike, is is getting on these different, being able to present at these conferences. That's a great testing ground, right? You submit your abstract to the ICAMs, right, to the, the aero devs, and you submit to them and you say, I want to present in front of them. You get to go out there and you get to test the landscape. Was my content, did my content resonate with them? Did they care enough about what I was trying to say? And that's a good first step for me to, to evaluate those different conferences as a marketer. That's what I always tell my clients. Let's go see what it's like. And then we'll think about exhibiting there next year because it's expensive, right? It is so expensive to exhibit. The cost per lead is outrageous. And if you don't get anything from it, you know, what, what are you trying to accomplish? And it depends on the maturity of your business, the size of your business, the budget of your business. I mean, you can be way more effective, Mike, at three degrees to be able to go present at these different conferences. I'm sure you, you do it right now, right? And to the, to the larger corporations, you know, they have great metrics. They can measure, hey, how effective was last year? How many deals did we close? You know, what what's the dollar amount of revenue of opportunities? All those different things, which is great. So depending on the maturity of your company, how long you've been in the industry, these very niche specific shows that you want to address, there's a lot of great like automotive shows that nobody knows about, right? That I think 3D printing would be great for. A lot of small like government military shows that 3D printing would be great for. So so getting out to these smaller niche shows is a gamble because it's untested. But if you get there, you're going to be the only 3D printer, 3D printing player there. And that is a differentiator because people say, I've heard of this, tell me more. And you're the first one to that to that market, as opposed to just going back to the same ones over and over again, same people. And I hate to knock on it because I love these the user groups. I love the rapids. I love these events. We wouldn't be where we are without these events as an industry. But for depending on the maturity of your business, you know, it's too expensive to to haphazardly say we just have to be there. Yep. And so kind of a couple of final questions. I guess first one is what's exciting in in your mind about kind of the, the back half of 2023 or anything on your radar or both from kind of business perspective and kind of what you're doing or just generally in the industry? Another great question. I think there's a lot going on in the industry from a consolidation perspective, right? You're seeing things every day shifting a little bit. Everyone's kind of chasing the same investor dollars. And, and and this is my perspective. I'm sure there's other opinions out there, but investors are holding on to their wallets a little bit, right? So what we're going to see is you know, people that have been frugal about their spending or they're actually profitable businesses, they will continue to do good things, right? Those that are not profitable and struggling might might have to figure out the creative ways to merge with other companies, get bought out, whatever it is, right? I think there's going to be some some consolidation stuff here in the second half. Is that exciting? No, I'm just predicting what might happen. Uh, there's events like the actually the AeroDev show in Long Beach, California that I'm personally excited for. I wrote an article about um, Space Beach, which SpaceX and a lot of these major companies are moving out to Long Beach into the port of Long Beach. And I think that event is going to be great. Uh, personally, I've been, I've been hyping it up. They don't pay me, Mike. I should really talk to him about all the crap I've, uh, you know, everything. Your checks now. in the mail. <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't know what I'm doing right now, but uh, <laughs> but but I think that'll be a good event. And you know, I don't know what to expect from a technology standpoint. 
but I do I do think there will be some consolidation in, in the market and things are going to change. One thing someone said to me that I thought was interesting was um, people are less likely to buy equipment right now and more likely to purchase services. So contract manufacturing. So I think there's going to be a continued increase in, in contract manufacturing. And last question, I asked this to, to all my recent guests. Um, what's a favorite book of yours that kind of made an impact on your either your business career, your personal career, or personal personal life? Man, I can't say like James Patterson and like one of those. Sure. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there were some good books. I man, yeah. this is a good question. I mean, that's the nice thing about traveling, right? Is that you can read on the plane constantly and go from there. Man. You know, I'll say this personally and professionally, uh, The Alchemist has always been one of my favorite books. I don't know if you've ever nice. read it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's the only book I've ever read multiple times because it, it kind of centers me a little bit and, and helps me think about where where it's my focus, where do I want to go in life and, and personally and professionally. Um, <laughs> I haven't been asked that question in a long time, Mike, so I'm glad I got to think about it, but I know that that's the right answer is The Alchemist. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the show today. I look forward to seeing you at kind of the next event here and uh, good luck with everything going forward. You bet. Thanks, Mike.